Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, Prosperity Nation, Randy Gage here. Welcome to another episode, a very special one, because I have a very special guest. And you guys who are watching this on the Prosperity TV channel already see my lovely and talented guest, uh, whose name is Terry Shodine. And Terry has been uh, a dear friend of mine for, I don't know, at least 10 or 15 years now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she's a, I think of her in different ways than maybe her client, not her clients maybe, but the, uh, the rest of the world does. Um, and she's just continuing this uh, little series I've been doing on the podcast where I'm having these long form Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss style of conversations with fascinating people. Uh, and this lady is fascinating. And, and like I say, I know her a little different because I have worked with her professionally where I brought her in to, to work with my team on crafting a communications message. Uh, but she's, she works with people on pr presentations and communications, uh, different aspects of that. So welcome, Terry. How, how would you better set up what you do so people understand? Because I think there's a lot of, uh, for you guys <laughs> listening, I think there's a lot of uh, payoff for you in the terms of your a personal branding and how you might grow your business. But that's my take. What, how would you present it, Terry? Well, first of all, thank you, Randy, for that lovely introduction. It's an honor to be uh, one of your preferred guests on your show. And hi to the Prosperity family. Uh, you know, my goal in working with people is to be of service in the area of public speaking and persuasive presentation skills. And Ultimately, what my company does, Shodin Communications, is we teach people how to deliver more polished and persuasive presentations, whether they're speaking one-on-one, -on -one, small group, or large group. And the premise is that everybody sells something, right? Whether it's a product, a service, a philosophy, an idea, a cause, or even if you're selling yourself in a job interview or for a promotion, everybody sells something. And yet some people really struggle with the idea of being salesy. And so my background is in speech and debate. And what I've tried to do is take some of the best practices from speech and debate, which teach you how to build a logical, persuasive message in a way that's classy and yet still compelling without being hard sell as a way to address this issue of how can I be more persuasive without sounding hard sell and kind of be in alignment with today's messaging. So that's kind of like the big umbrella of what we do that kind of makes us different from the masses. And, and what do you say to those people who say, well, I, I get that, but I don't want to be salesy. You know, I, <laughs> I think salespeople are always pushy. I hate when they're pushy to me. Sure. I don't want to be like that to the people I interact with. What no, and I couldn't them? agree more. And I think I feel the same way. You know, my goal has always been, you know, to kind of, again, touch back to those basic principles that I learned as a debater. When you build a logical, clean, persuasive case, you can still be classy while still being persuasive. And, you know, 
how it was determined whether or not you would win or lose in a debate round was what's your argument and do you have elegant evidence to support your case and when you do people can feel good about making a decision because they can say well that makes sense i can feel good about moving forward with that because there's there's facts there's data there's uh ethical to justify my making a decision without being hard sell i like to let the evidence uh, prove my case rather than trying to be salesy yeah elegant evidence i love those words that's beautiful <laughs> yeah that's fun uh, for you guys who are watching this uh, at some point in the future uh, terry and i are each in our own homes recording this during the uh coronavirus pandemic yes and uh, so I've been doing, I mean, just broadcast after broadcast with companies and teams telling them how to be dealing with this. I just finished one for Singapore this morning because it's like evening over there. And um, I did, Terry's also a member of the uh, Speaker Hall of Fame, one of my colleagues in that hall. And uh, so we did a, uh, a show for NSA, the National Speakers Association, that I did yeah. for them streaming maybe a week ago. And there were people like saying, um, yeah, but in, in difficult times like this, I'm, I'm afraid to uh, charge for my service or ask for my fee or ask for my full fee. And I was like, so you don't really believe in what you're selling, do you? I mean, because <laughs> you, you, know, you have to believe that what you have is of superior value to what you're asking mm -hmm. for it or you shouldn't be doing it right absolutely you know i think that uh, you know one of the my favorite lines is that you can do good in the world but you still want to do well so how can i do good and do well uh, i think that's part of the prosperity mindset and you know ultimately we can share some of our best practices, share some of our, our ideas to be of service. And then when people say, wow, I've you know, really received value from that. Now I want to take it up a next level. I, yes, I feel like I want to pay. I'm willing to pay. And so, you know, classic old line, you got to give to get, you know, I like to give a little bit upfront and then I've earned the right to, uh, to be of service as a provider, a vendor, a, speaker, a consultant. So I, I think it's a process. Um, and maybe the, the bridge is that it's not either or. It's not you're either hard sell or you're giving things away. I think that you can use your service as a bridge to earn their business for the long term. And that's really how I see it. Yeah, great attitude for that. The, run through your books so people know about them. Because uh, <laughs> her books have done well. She's got some bestsellers, but uh, uh, I do know that there's, you know, my tribe is not her tribe, and a lot of you are not, some of you are not familiar with Terry, and she's got some great books that I personally read. Would tell them a little about your books, please? Sure. The first, um, well, the, the first one that did well uh, was this one. It's called New Sales Speak. Uh, now, this actually came out in 2001, believe it or not. And, and there's more to this story, but originally what I did is I took the best practices, the things I learned in coaching, coaching and consulting, and identified the nine biggest sales presentation mistakes that business professionals make. And my, my thought was, if we could learn from each other, uh, like who else better to help coach other salespeople than other salespeople? Like that's where we want to get the data. So 
you know, I kind of really built my career on these, uh, addressing these nine biggest mistakes and helping people to get where they wanted to go in a shorter period of time. Because if you can identify the problem, then you can identify the solution and then you can move past it. Now, from that book, uh, there was a chapter which really focused specifically on brevity and how to a concise and compelling message in a shorter period of time. And you may remember uh, about 10 years ago, it was the buzz was all about elevator speeches. Like how do I craft a great elevator speech? So in 2011, we pushed out small message, big impact. And this is the one that hit the New York Times, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list. This is in, I think like eight languages in 32 countries or something crazy. So um, this book really helped people to uh, really discover how can I take a 30 minute talk, condense it down to a 30 second or a three minute elevator speech and then build it out again. And if you think of messaging uh, in terms of, it always has the same through line, but it can expand or contract much like an accordion, depending on how much time you have to deliver your message, then that messaging really is about editing and getting to the point in a short period of time and then still staying within your own authentic voice. So that's that book. And then the next book, which also profiles my dear friend, Randy Gage, uh, is a book called Scrappy. And I really feel like this messaging is so valuable for this particular time because it's about all of the clever, engaging things that people can do to capture attention, gain access to an, uh, the most desirable listeners. And the marriage between these two ideas is Look, you could have the greatest message, the greatest sales presentation in the world, but if you don't have access to the most desirable listeners, then how does it serve you? So the partnership between these two books really helps people to kind of advance their intention, whatever that might be. And there's small plays, there's medium plays, there's big plays. And so the goal behind Scrappy was to really help people to learn from extraordinary, ordinary people, how to break through uh, their own limiting beliefs, uh, how to then take action and execute and then you know, move the needle. And my whole philosophy on my work is, look, we don't have to score on every play, we just have to advance the ball. And if you can keep advancing the ball, then eventually in time, sometimes you have big leaps, sometimes you have little leaps, but at least it's always forward thinking. And, and that's my intention, even with this call today. Like, what nuggets can we share with your listeners? Make them think, okay, is there something scrappy I can do to advance the ball? Can I shift my messaging to advance the ball? And with those little wins every day, that's how we push through a, a difficult, challenging time like we're all in right now. So you did some work with a political party, which we won't name since we're in the most <laughs> polarized country on earth in this moment. Sure. But whichever one it was, what, what do you do with a, a political party like that, that, that has a, a platform that they want to get out? And how do you think that applies to the, the average business or entrepreneur? Yeah, we all have, I think it's a great question. Uh, so one thing that we know as um, in, in the world of professional development is that different people have uh, different things that they're passionate about. So uh, whether it be uh, a, a political issue, whether it be an economic issue, um, social issues, uh, 
you know, I do a lot of work for people who are interested in promoting their cause. And that is still a sales process, right? It's still part of the selling game. And, and the, the through line here is that uh, if you're selling a cause or an idea or a philosophy, you still have to encourage people to buy in and their buy-in is maybe not to purchase a product or a service, but rather to support uh, an idea through sharing their time, their talent, or their treasure. So when you're onboarding people to a cause, you're selling them on sharing their time with you and your ideas. You're selling them on their sharing their talent or actually giving money, right? So the sell, the sell in that ideology uh, just depends on what that individual or that cause needs. I think that the same principle applies for, you know, I'm a trustee for Olive Crest. Uh, we provide services for uh, and homes for abused and neglected kids. And, you know, I'm constantly out selling. You know, people say, oh, I don't want to be in sales. I, I want to do philanthropy. Well, let me tell you something. Philanthropy is a heck of a sales job. Yes, and, it is. Yes, it is. And sell people on why they should join you as a volunteer, why they should give you some of their services to support your cause, or why they should give you cold hard cash so that you can buy the support services you need. You know, I think everybody sells something, whether it's a product or a service or a philosophy or an idea, everybody sells something. And our verbal communication skills serve as that link because this is still a human contact sport. And, you know, I've never had anybody say, oh my gosh, you wrote the best email. And so now I totally want to join your cause. I mean, maybe that's happened, but usually it's because it's human contact, human contact that inspires action. That's why I'm so each geek and I'm, you know, totally inspired by helping people to learn their voice to advance their intentions. So if somebody is new to you, what is the best book to start with to, to, to learn your philosophy? Yeah, I really believe that small message, big impact is probably a good starter. Mm -hmm. uh, it really gets people to think about the three benchmarks of crafting a message. There's your case. What is it you want to prove or say? There's your creativity. Like, how do I speak in a way that the ideas I share uh, spark the imagination of the individuals that I'm speaking to that makes them want to explore whatever it is I'm sharing to a deeper level. And then the third benchmark is delivery. So that includes everything from the way that you speak uh, to your personality, your style. And you know, we all have a different personality and style. It's not my intention to ever change that. I just wanna help people to have their voice uh, heard more effectively while they stay congruent with whatever it is they want to accomplish. So uh, then when you start thinking about what is my case, how will I be creative? How do I speak in my own voice? Then you can start thinking about, all right, now how do I get scrappy? So I, I think that small message, big impact is a really great first primer to start. It's a simple read. You can get through it in like a plane ride. It was designed to be read from LA to New York in one plane ride. So it's designed for a busy person who just wants to get to the meat and potatoes and move on. Totally <laughs> unrelated, irrelevant side note. You, uh, Miami, New York, or LA, Miami, sorry, LA, Miami is kind of the most lucrative flight in America. 
my friend who's a flight attendant telling me yesterday or the day before, six people on the plane on the New York-Miami flight. And that's with like 80% of the flights have been canceled. You know, they used to do 12 a day. Now they do two a day or one a day. Yeah. It's just crazy, crazy times. Uh, so if somebody's sheltered at home in a pandemic zone right now, yeah. and they want to work on their craft, they want to get better at communicating their message in a compelling way, what's, what should they work on? What's a good practice for them? What would be a, a curriculum or action steps or just overall advice <laughs> you would give somebody who says, hey, I'm here, you know, I can't go to work. I'm home 24 sure. hours a day. I want to I wanna take an hour or two every day and work on my craft. What, what would you suggest to them? Yeah, right. We all have the time. We all say things like, I had the time and now we have. <laughs> so uh, it's a great question. And you know, I find myself asking the same things. We have all these ideas. But, you know, I like to start by uh, kind of just brainstorming and writing out what is it I want to accomplish. So you always start every message with the end game in mind. So uh, where do I want to get people? Uh, what am I trying to get them to do? So for example, if I'm crafting a message on trying to encourage people to attend or participate in a fundraiser for Olive Crest, I'm like, all right, what do I want them to do? And I'll think, well, I want them to understand uh, who we are and what we do. Uh, I want to persuade them the best place for them to share their time, talent, or treasure. And then I want to engage them to take some sort of action. So I always kind of map it out first on paper. Where am I trying to take them? And then I back into the process, All right? If that's where I'm trying to get them, then what's the best way to tell that story? And All I right, kind so, of- So let me, let me interrupt you for a sec. Sure. When you say you write it out, what does that look like? Is that a mind map? Is that a list? Is that uh, steps? What does that look like for you when you're, when you're doing that process? Yeah, initially, it just looks like a blank sheet of paper. I make it look like a wheel. So I'll draw a circle in the center. This is just my, there's this, no, this is my weird process. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's what I want to hear. Yeah, it's, um, so I just take a blank eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and I'll draw a circle in the middle, and the middle is the target. Like, where am I trying to get them to go? And then I draw little spokes off the wheel, and all of those little spokes are just like, all right, well, is this part of the story? Is that part of the story? And they all, nothing has a hierarchy of intensity until I look at all the spokes. And then as I'm looking at all the spokes, I'm like, okay, well, what comes first? Is it this or is it this? And I just look at it like spokes. And then I think, well, um, do I have a story for that? Or what's the, what's the illustration for that? Do I want to use a statistic or a fact here? Uh, or do I want to tell here? Um, so the first, the wheel and the spokes are really the case development. What is it I want to prove or say? And then all of the little um, elements on the outside are, well, how do I illustrate that? Is it imagery? Maybe it's a picture. Maybe it's a, a personal story. Maybe it's an, an industry story. Or maybe it's just cold, hard facts, data. And then I ask, all right, what is the path to... Include all of those things, and then I just use the sil the 
in small message, big impact. That's never changed for me for 30 years. So I have, what's the introduction? What are my three main body points? What's my conclusion and what's my close? On my three arguments, I use Mon what's called Monroe's Motivated Sequence. And we talk about that in small message. Wait, what, what was the first one? Monroe's Motivated Sequence. It was created by a, a professor of communication named Monroe. And oh. basically uh, said that if you want to persuade someone logically, not no crazy manipulative closing tactics, just a logical persuasive case, that you have to take people through five steps. So I'll share with you what those five steps are. Is this going too deep in the rabbit hole? Not at all. So you guys listening, okay. this is one of those things you want to write down. This is because <laughs> this is, this is uh, I couldn't understand the first word because you were your Wi-Fi was glitching a little or my Wi-Fi was glitching a little. But I remember us discussing this process when you were working with my team. Yeah. So guys, pay attention. It's so good. I mean, it's so clean that if you get nothing else from this call and you get this nuggets on Monroe's motivated sequence, you'll be happy. So uh, step one in Monroe's motivated sequence is uh, what's called the attention step. And the goal of the attention step is not the kind of old school philosophy of, you know, I've got to, you know, have some sort of pithy quote or a humorous line. The attention step has one goal, and that is to create an awakening in the mind of the listener. Like, what are you going to say that's going to make them go, huh, that's interesting. It just makes them sit up, and they actually, the listener doesn't actually have to agree or disagree with you in the beginning. It just has to make them go, huh, like an awakening. It's the headline. you got to get their attention with the right? headline, and then they're going to read the next sentence. Exactly. The second step in Monroe's motivated sequence is the need step. And what we know about this need step is that every listener, regardless of generation, is asking the same question. Why do I need this? Why do I need this? So the way I frame it in my mind is I think of the skeptic that's sitting on the other side of the desk or the, on, on the other side of the table or in the large auditorium. And I think, okay, for that skeptic who's sitting to me, how can I meet their biggest objections? Like, why do they need this? So with the springboard from awakening to need, it really helps me to focus on them rather than whatever it is my intention is. And if you really want to connect, it's always about how can I be of service to their needs, not what I need, but what, they're, what they need. Now the you, third are you are you suggesting that we should be focusing on their needs instead of what we want to sell and the <laughs> money you want to make? Are you suggesting such a radical concept as that? <laughs> well, you know that old saying. Um, I think it was Kevin Robert. That, like, how do you like you? How do you get what you want? You help more people get what they want. Like that's ultimately how it works, right? The Actually, lot I Actually, I think that's Zig, but otherwise. Okay, good. Zig, right. You are correct. <laughs> so second step, or sorry, third step in Monroe's motivated sequence is the satisfaction step. And the satisfaction step supports the ideas that you shared in the need steps. This is where your facts, your data, your social proof lives. It lives in the house of satisfaction. It says, I serve you. How does my argument, how does my idea, how does my proposition 
How, how does it satisfy your need? That's the satisfaction step. Now the fourth step is really important and most people forget about it. And that's the visualization step. And the visualization step, if you can imagine, it literally catapults the listener into the future. It basically says, if I were to catapult you into the future and you were to take action on what I'm suggesting, then your life is better, your circumstances are better. You help them to visualize uh, how amazing life will be when they take action on what you're suggesting. And then the fifth step, which is the final step, is the action step. And the action step is where you show them how to execute whatever it is that you're pro you know, proposing. So you can get pushback on all five steps. So what does the pushback sound like? Um, on the attention step, the pushback can, can come right from the get-go. I've heard this all before, I'm not interested, right? You can, so that's why that attention step has to create an awakening. That's the difference. You can get back in the need step where they might say, yeah, you know what, you had me curious, but I don't really need that. You can get pushback on the satisfaction step. You know, you had me curious. I do feel like I need that. I just don't think I want to get it from you. <laughs> that's, that's how you lose them at the satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then it could be at the visualization step. You know, you got my attention. I do feel we need this. If we were going to do something like we would do it with you, you've gotten that far, do you lose them at the visualization step? They'll say, mm, I just don't see us doing it right now. Right? And then the last step would be, you know, how do you lose them at action? You know, now you're all the way through, right? You're like, oh, you know, you got me curious. I, I feel like we need this. If we were going to move forward, we would do it with you. I do see how this can make a difference. If you've gotten that far, how do you then lose them at the action step? And you can lose them at the action step because they could just say, ugh, it's one of three things. One, I don't have the money, I can't afford it. Two, it all feels too complicated. They're like, ugh, this feels too complicated. Like it's too cumbersome. It feels too hard. Or number three, they're not the decision maker. So those are three ways that you lose them at the action step. But if you've done steps, you know, all, if you meet all five steps, then you're really on path to craft better messaging. So here's our full circle moment. When you started this piece of our conversation with, okay, how do I practice in my living room? I would say, why don't you just practice either on a Zoom call or even with your spouse or significant other and practice in the living room and record it and then listen to the playback and ask, hmm, did I actually take my listener through all five steps of Monroe's motivated sequence? And if you did, well then good on you. But if you didn't, now you know exactly where to go back and make those little tweaks or corrections so that your message is on point regardless of how long you're presenting. This, I just love because this is, <laughs> this will work for how do I get Becky to pick up the toys in her room <laughs> to how do I close this $100 million contract with Honeywell? Absolutely. <laughs> and everything in between. And everything in between. How do I provide uh, services to, as a soccer mom doing a fundraising event for the team? 
you know, one of the calls I had yesterday is they're considering canceling a graduation because of this coronavirus. And so the school will may possibly not have a graduation for this woman's child. And she's frustrated. And she's like, what should I do? And I said, what would I do? And she said, yeah. And I go, did you see the movie Footloose? She's like, yeah. I'm like, they canceled the prom, right? It was like, dancing was illegal. And she goes, yeah. And I go, so then they creatively found a, a farmhouse where they could host a party and they created probably a better prom for themselves than the one that would have been provided by the school. And I'm like, so why don't you get a bunch of parents together and sell them on creating a new dynamic and lovely way to provide a graduation celebration for your kids and don't worry about what the rest of the school is doing. Just do it at a time that's safe. Maybe you postpone it to July or August, but you execute on that in your own way and it'll probably be better than the one that the high school was giving you. Oh, more than probably, definitely better. Yeah. <laughs> so who, who knew Footloose was going to be the, uh, the best case study for something really, uh, you know, serious. What, uh, what are the books that uh, have impacted or influenced you the most over your life? Oh, gosh. Such a great question. Uh, you know, without a doubt, uh, one of my one of my favorites is uh, Ayn Rand. I love both of her books. I love The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. I mean, they're two of my favorites. And if you ever thought to yourself, gosh, I'd really like to, to read those books, but they're daunting. Uh, what I found really helpful was to get the audio CDs. I went totally old school. And uh, it's like 25 CDs, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, gotta be for Atlas. Fashion CD Walkman. And now one of the things we're still allowed to do is listen is take walks. So I'd say, you know, pop in a, a CD of either one of those books and, you know, do a walk a day for an hour and listen to a couple of chapters a day. You'll get through it in less than three weeks. And it was, both of those books are game changers. I, you know, I love them. She's a great storyteller. She has a wicked vocabulary. Uh, the plot lines are really interesting and diverse. And I'm a huge fan. Uh, yeah. And by the way, just so Atlas is my number one on my list. Of oh, the it most, is? Most How impactful did I know that about you? Life. This is one yeah. of my kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so, and uh, how did I not know that about you? So, yeah. I literally just was doing a podcast yesterday with Lewis, uh, who's an actor. I'm trying to think of his last name. But so he's got the, uh, he just, start, I did a, one, a podcast with him and now he started a, a different podcast as well. So we did a show yesterday. And the whole purpose of the show, the whole theme of the show was Atlas Shrugged because wow. when I had done his show the first time I had told him that was my most impactful book. And he, uh, uh, he, so you guys who are podcast listeners, you're going to hear it anyway, because I'm going to share his show on the <laughs> podcast. So you'll, you'll hear it in the next week or two. Uh, and his, so he's created what he calls Hank Reardon, Re, Hank Reardon syndrome. Uh -huh. And uh, so we did a one hour show on this, uh, just that book and the, you know, the, the philosophy of objectivism and how it applies in the <laughs> world today and the entitlement mentality out there. And so it was a fascinating conversation. 
So I'm excited to hear that, uh, you know, those two. I, I, I try to reread Atlas every year. Uh, this time I'm a little slow, probably two years, but I usually try and reread it every year. It's just that amazing. It is that amazing. It still sells like 500,000 copies a year. It's been oh like 50 and, years. And I have to tell you, there's so many reasons why, um, you know, her work really inspires me. But uh, I will tell you just a little sidebar, if you want, there's actually um, a couple of really good videos that you can get that are about her life and uh, kind of her background and her backstory, which we can talk about offline. But I think that... I'm sure I got them. Yeah. <laughs> I have everything on her, yeah. Got everything? Yeah, there was, um, it's called the objectivist society maybe or something so i was a member of that for years and years and the ayn rand institute yeah and so i'm in a bunch so i've got everything on her yeah we could totally nerd out on that later (laughs) (laughs) and then totally just for fun uh you know fun reads gosh um you know i'm still i love all self-help junkie stuff i'm into all of it so anything that you know helps to keep me sharp and inspired and motivated. And I just, you know, I'm going to nerd out again, but I just um, ordered online the original series of Think and Grow Rich, which is like 30 CDs. And I've been listening to those on my walk. So, uh, you know, those are timeless principles that you just go, oh my gosh, I was written a good years ago, but they're still just wonderful nuggets. And, I, you know, I like to do whatever I can uh, to to keep my head in a good space, yeah. because, and I turn off the television because I can't I can't listen to this stuff all the time. Wow. I don't. It doesn't help me. It doesn't it doesn't help me do what I need to do to be service to myself, to my family, to my friends, to the planet. I just I can't. So I'll take the warnings and the sound bites at the end of the day. <laughs> and yeah, my. I think my number one downloaded podcast now is one I did about two weeks ago called Finding Peace in a Pandemic or something to that effect. And because you just, if you're getting those alerts on your phone and you can get addicted into, it's like a train wreck that just grabs your attention and you cannot turn away. And Every hour you're checking the new death counts and the new case load counts. And you just, that will make you insane. So I realized, okay, I can, I will check in about seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night. I'll check in for about 15 minutes on see, is there something urgent I need to know about this? You know, what has changed? Is there a curfew? Is there a lockdown? Is there whatever? Um, And then I got to get away from it again because otherwise... So I feel like took me till I've been self-isolating for three weeks now, um, yeah. even before they're actually not going to start the stay at home order here in Florida doesn't go into effect until tomorrow, but I've been doing it for three weeks. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I had a really hard time creating my new routine. Because sure. I'm all about routine. So I get up, I go downstairs, <laughs> I do my cardio. You're kidding. I come back, I mix my shake, drink my protein. Then I uh, check the email for anything overnight from Asia, Australia, something that needs to be dealt with. Uh, then I do my writing till around 10, 11. Then I go back to the gym and I do my uh, resistance training. 
and then I come back and I do phone calls and emails and you know any errands later in the afternoon. Late afternoons is where I record stuff like podcasts. Um, yeah. And just by not going to the gym, because now I have to do cardio in my house, I had to find a workout program. It like messed me up. And then I realized, oh, well, I'm, I'm not playing my workout playlist. Normally in the gym, I put in my, you know, my earphones and I've got my playlist and I wasn't doing that at home. So now I'm like, okay, so I'll play that on my home pod. Right. And then the next thing I realized is, oh, I'm actually preparing food to eat for the first time in 30 years, instead of calling Uber eats three times a day or going out to eat three times a day. I mean, I cook normally, twice a year. I cook on New Year's Eve and I cook on Christmas Eve and I make spaghetti both nights. That's the only time of the year I cook. Uh, and then every five years or 10 years, I have a dinner party and I cook, right? <laughs> but I'm pretty much <laughs> And now just like I have these mac and cheese boxes I've been uh, microwaving, but there's like I only had like 15 and now it's three weeks. I've already used like eight of them. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to use the box of the, the Anne's cheddar cheese and shells. And I boiled the water on the stove. So I'm like, wow, does that count as cooking? I'm boiling water, you know, but it's like, that still takes me 15 minutes to prepare something that I don't normally do. And it's messed up my routine. And I feel like it took me to yesterday that yesterday I did a live stream. I did recorded my podcast. I got some great writing done. I put out my, I wrote my Friday philosophy email. I wrote another blog. I did my Spanish and French lessons. I did my cardio. I did, you know what I mean? And like today I've already I've done uh, one broadcast. I'm doing the podcast with you right now. I've done both my workouts already. I've had a good, healthy breakfast, a good, healthy lunch. I already did my Spanish and French. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> wow. And it's only, you know, Eastern time. I'm going on three o'clock or whatever. So I feel like, you know, I'm finally, I think, in a new routine that I'm, because, that I'm productive because it's a big change. And I've been working at home for 30 years. So I would think, why would I have any problem with a routine? But just by, you know, and I felt like the other thing was I wasn't getting enough sunshine and fresh air. So now I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go out. We've got a beautiful little, like, by the, by the pier where there's like some benches and stuff, a little kind of park right here in my condo. And I'm like, I just got to go out there. Even if it's just 15 minutes a day and, drink in some sunshine and some fresh air because otherwise, I don't know, you just get lethargic. Sure. You know, there's, there's that day-to-day -day management and then also managing whatever big plans you had. In this. And it's almost, uh, you know, I've described it as process. Uh, Wait, you know, you and, froze. You describe um, it as what? Like a grief process, like grieving. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, even as, so we went on lockdown a little bit earlier uh, than you did. Evan Newsom shut us down pretty quickly, um, which was good. And it's, you know, safety first. I really do believe in that. However, as you know, uh, on March 4th, 
we had launched my brand new research project and I had huge goals, like big campaign. And this was going to be probably one of my most dynamic spring and summer uh, opportunities ever. Like it was my, what a big play for me. And you know, you plan these things two months ahead. So nobody had any idea that March 4th was going to be the day that, you know, <laughs> I mean, all heck broke loose as they say. And it, we just kept thinking it was going to get better and it just didn't get better. And I mean, here we are today and it's progressively getting worse. And I had to kind of really get my head around the fact that we had worked so hard, you know, not only me and my team, to put all of this huge, monstrous project, um, eight, eight weeks of a beautiful plan and have it just be like, like somebody just ripped the tablecloth with yeah. all the dishes. And yeah. somebody asked me, what did it feel like? And I said, I feel like I was running I trained and I was running and running and I was so pumped for the race and I tripped over a rock and like fell on my face. Like I, it just immediate stop. And I'm not going to lie. Like I, I cried. I, I went into my room after like 10 days and I just, I just was bawling. I'm like, oh, I'm so frustrated and sad and, and I felt frozen. Mm-hmm. And you know, then I had to like, I'm like, okay, teacher, Myself. Like you got to get scrappy, you got to get scrappy and pump up and go back out there again. So I'm, you know, dusting myself off and being like, okay, it's, we're going virtual where I'm going to start writing people one by one. I'm going to pick up the phone and make phone calls and do these podcasts. And, you know, I know many of your listeners at home are in the same space. Uh, yeah, a lot of people yeah. had fun plans, big plans, some of them personal, some professional, uh, graduations, weddings, ceremonies, these things that we had in place. And um, there's a little bit of grief and there's a little bit of trying to rearrange your routine. And, uh, but I also know in my heart that we will get through this. There will be another day. And so now I'm really focused on how do I take those little baby steps every day to get me towards, you know, what the future is going to look like so that I'm really ready at to, from a place of calm and grace uh, to move forward when this epidemic passes and we can all move forward. Cause I don't want to be like the people that are freaking out. Okay. It's lifted. Now I'm freaking out. Like I just want to glide with grace the transition from where we are to where we're going to be and do it from a place of uh, confidence and and hope you know that's really my my goal now i you know because i make myself the floor first yeah i love it uh so for you guys listening this is like two years you spent on this research process process, (laughs) uh, uh, study where you were and this was the 12 uh, biggest mistakes people make in presentations? Was it, is, is that what it was, if I'm remembering? Yeah, right? so I went back to this original book, New Sales Speak, which covered the nine biggest sales presentation mistakes. And I just, I wanted to ask a question. Okay, 20 years later, are these still the, are the nine still the nine? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And 
I really wanted to focus the data specifically on working with salespeople. So over a two-year period, uh, I worked with 35-plus organizations, uh, specifically with those whose livelihood is dependent on giving a sales presentation, whether they sell a product or a service or a cause. And we went to them specifically because who, again, who better to judge sales professionals than other sales professionals? And we have representation from uh, the greatest generation or what we call uh, the silent generation, baby boomers, Gen Xers, and then of course millennials or Gen Y. And we said, are these still the nine mistakes? And have you committed any of them? Is there something that needs to fall off this list? Is there anything that we should add? And we got some, this just crazy, amazing data, which as you know, I've completely been pumped to share with the world because there are fascinating things that we can learn with each other and from each other to all take things to another level. And so to keep it simple, I just launched it in this 31 page report and it's free. So if you're listening to this, you can go to my website and you can download a free copy. Um, you can just go to, can I plug this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, give your, by the way, we'll have a link to this in the show notes anyway, but ex tell them your website and spell it out because uh, Shodeen is not quite spelled Shodeen. the way they do it in Alabama. <laughs> right, so my last name is Shodeen, it's spelled S-J-O-D-I-N, it's Swedish, so the J is like an H, Shodeen. So you'll just go to Shodeen Communications with an S, um, all spelled out.com. So Terry, so you're just going to go to showdeancommunications.com or if you just type in Terry, T-E-R-R-I-S-J-O-D-I-N.com, it'll take you to my homepage. And then from the homepage, you'll see uh, the button to click on to get to the research report. But uh, yeah, so when, when you look at the report, what it's going to share with you is not only what some of those changes are, but the little things that you can do, uh, specifically uh, focusing in on the three, what we call the big three, the biggest three mistakes that people self-confess that they made, that they felt cost them the win or the deal of the, or the opportunity. And if you just read that little piece of data on what those big three are, and you make those changes, it's gonna be worth the time you took to download the report. But there's tons more. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, who were your heroes growing up, or who are your heroes now? What, who, who inspires you to do more, become more? Oh gosh, for sure, Oprah Winfrey. I'm like a total Oprah fan. I, uh, I, I think she is. Um, She's just been so diverse in terms of being an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, um, a performer. Uh, her diversity just inspires me. So I, and, and the way that she's been able to um, attract prosperity and the way that she, I mean, she is such an incredible manifester. I, I just want to watch her with awe and, you know, I aspire to, to be like her. When I was, uh, pushing out small message, big impact. Um, it was right when she her interview series on masterclass. And I thank God for the DVR because I was able to record the show. 
And I must have watched the playback on her interview on Masterclass over and over and over and over again. Because she talks about uh, how she hoped that uh, the role in, um, oh gosh, I'm spacing on the movie. At the Color moment. of Purple. Color of Purple. And thank you. And um, she didn't think she got to the, she didn't think she got the part. And so if you haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin it for you, but uh, in the face of that adversity, she takes these action steps, which lead her to having an aha moment, which and then everything changes. But I watched it over and over and over and over. And I kept thinking, that's what I have to do. I just need to get my head in my space and then and launch my intention and then do the work. And there's a great African proverb, which says, you can wish, you can dream, you can hope, and you can pray. But when you pray, move your feet. And then I was like, okay, so like I wanted to, I wished, I hoped, I prayed, I was moving my feet. And then you just have to release it up to the universe and let it go. When you, <laughs> all that you can do, when you've tried as hard as you can try, go to sleep at night and with peace and let, give it up to the universe and it will come. And, and it does, and it did, and it did for her, and it did for me, and and that's the where I uh, I love Oprah. I could go on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Great, that's a great place to wrap up. That's just a wonderful place to wrap up. So, I thank you so much for spending time with my tribe. Thank you. I know they're going to adore you as I do. Uh, again, we'll have the show the links to this stuff in the show notes. You got to check out her books. And whether it's personal branding, uh, uh, just communicate, you know, rallying people to a cause or promoting your business, uh, it's, it's always about that, the communication and how we can touch people. And Terry is simply brilliant at that. So thank you, my darling. You know, I love you, you and Randy. adore you. I love you back. Big hugs, my friend. All right. Thank you all for listening. Tell your people about the show. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.